is a podcast about fighting the system and staying rebellious while being incarcerated. The show takes the form of a recorded phone call between myself and Chicago, my twin brother, currently locked up at the Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility in Tutwiler, Mississippi, a private prison operated by the Corporation Core Civic. I am Jason. And I am Jeremy. And we are... Twin Twin Trouble! All right, welcome back. It's been a long time since we did an episode. Jeremy, how are you doing? Uh, all things considered, uh, you know, I'm still struggling, but uh, staying positive and staying healthy, you know, to the best of our ability. How are you doing? Doing well here. Uh, quarantining, not leaving my house except for participating in the protests, you know. There's been another seismic shift since last time we did an episode, of course, is the global uprising against racism in the police, which was sparked off by the brutal murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Over the last month, protesters have been consistently been tearing it up in the streets to demand fundamental shifts to the systemic racist capitalist system, which has immiserated the lives of black folks for far too long. This is a moment where previously unimaginable things are becoming possible, and this is a time for new ideas and actions to be put forward. Truly, one cannot capture the moment in a single soundbite, and we have a lot of content to get to, so let's get to it. Okay, so we got a lot to talk about today. A lot has happened in the world since our last show. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, coronavirus in prison. Uh, we're going to be talking about government repression of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Uh, we're going to be talking about the exciting new anonymous release of Blue Leaks, uh, classified confidential information. And we have a special guest today with us. Grace is going to be talking about Blue Leaks. we got Grace Backer, uh, of course, a member of the Jeremy Hammond Sports Committee and the Twitter handler and all that. How are you doing, Grace? Hey, I'm doing good. How about y'all? Oh, Do we want to announce the rest? Yeah, we also have a very other special guest. Today with us, we have uh, Mr. K. Mr. K is a rescued lab rat who came home to live with me forever. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, he's chilling on my lap. He is a uh, he's a sprig dolly rat that was bred by Charles River Lab. Uh, Charles River Lab is one of the worst of the worst. They breed, they're the second largest importer of primates into the United States for vivisection. They import thousands into into the United States. Uh, and this little dude was bred by this company and used in food deprivation studies. So somebody starved God. this little Yeah, somebody starved this little guy and That's horrible. Yeah, and you would never you I don't know how somebody could do that. I don't know what kind of monster could do that cuz literally right now Our he best. is he is curled up against my leg, and I am I am scratching behind his ear. He's like half falling asleep against me. He's just such a cuddly little dude, and so relaxed and so affectionate. What's the call for you, Ma? Are all the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got my cat in here with me. He's kind of my bestie. He also kind of looks like a bat. We got cats like bats and rats. Yeah, I have another cat in the room. Uh, I have a cat also in the room. She's chilling as well. Nice. Nice. I saw some crickets in my cell today. I was like, wow, I've seen it all now. Crickets? Oh, yeah. First off, I want to start off with a joke for some lightheartedness before we get to the heavy-handed shit. But of course, you heard about Chaz? Yeah, in Seattle. All right. The, the fact that it was in Seattle leaves us a couple of Frasier-related jokes. So, <clears throat> Frazier and Niles are uh, walking down past the autonomous zone the other day, and Frazier looks at a sign and it says, a cab. And Niles is like, ooh, a cabernet sounds lovely right about now. (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, CHAZ, also known as CHOP, the autonomous zone in Seattle, was basically holed down a large area where it was a, basically a police-free zone, including commandeering a police station. What's it called? Seattle People? Something. Right on. So, uh, but anyway, it was it was raided by the cops, and, like, everyone was, was uh, you know, violently ripped out, and so it's over with. So a couple of friends of mine who are absolutely not leftists whatsoever, um, they're liberal-ish, but um, definitely not leftists whatsoever. They live in Seattle, and they decided to uh, go down to uh, Chaz when it was still Chaz and see what it was all about. They wanted to, you know, kind of see, quote, anarchy in action. And um, they were very impressed with it. They thought that it was um, very well organized, you know, very well, quote, run. I'll use that word loosely. But um, they were very impressed with it, which I thought was actually really great. I mean, um, they said that, you know, at no time they felt like they were in danger. Um, they really enjoyed walking around and seeing the art and community gardens that had sprung up. And I just thought that that was a really awesome thing that, like, even people that aren't leftists that really have no idea what sort of anarchy looks like in practice, you know, were able to you kind of experience that and see that and kind of see, you know what, this is really cool. And I felt really welcome here. And, you know, the people treated me well. And I just felt that that was really cool. And reading their perspective on it, you know, it showed what non-anarchists viewed Chaz as. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very inspiring also to hear about it, uh, you know, how people were, like we were talking about, uh, creating a physical manifestation uh, of, the, of the type of war that we want to see, you know, one where we solve our own problems instead of relying on police and authorities uh, to, to dominate, uh, as Trump would say. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of people who wanted to see it fail, ultimately ending in, like, an armed siege. After it had been dismantled, um, I think it was the Black Rose Federation did a really good breakdown of some things that had gone really well, some things that didn't go really well, because... Honestly, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, and I think that it is really productive to look at some things that didn't go really well and see, you know, where the weaknesses were so that, you know, we can build on the movement and, you know, see where there is room for improvement, you know. Every experiment, we get better at it. Yeah, yeah, and one of the main things that I remember them mentioning was there seemed to be no really good way for people to they said it seemed to be mostly lacking in organization in that there was a general assembly that sprung up uh yes but that yeah but that it needed sort of better communication within the general assembly to solve problems um which I think anybody who's ever been to any sort of anarchist meeting ever can relate <laughs> to that feeling um, that sometimes we can get a little sidetracked. And I mean, why bring up theory if you don't want to talk about it forever? <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I, I love the endless meetings anyways. But, um, yeah, yeah, right, right. It's a work in progress anyway. You know, there's no one plan, you know, has a perfect solution to it, but, you know, as exactly, it unfolds, exactly. it's figured out together, you know. Right. I don't think that anybody expected it to go perfect, especially how it was born. It was born out of a very violent, very tumultuous situation.
because there was also some really good critiques in the article about how some people felt that it was sort of eclipsing the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think are valid critiques, you know, and how people were focusing more on the fact that an autonomous zone had been established than the original message of the protests, which were, you know, the voice of the black community saying, you know, stop killing us. Fuck the police. Yeah, fuck the police. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely be looking up that article, reading for myself, and uh, I'll probably post it on the blog as well for this uh, podcast episode. Yeah, please yeah, do. I, I felt it was really good. I think it had some worthy points. You know, I wanted to tell you something else. That- what? So yesterday, uh, apparently, a great number of legislators in the Mississippi State Capitol yeah. were tested positive for coronavirus after having a meeting about whether or not they should be requiring masks in public. And, of course, none of these legislators live in the session were wearing masks at all. And uh, so now the Mississippi legislation is, is uh, full-on contagion. Right. And, uh, of course, a lot of them are also trying to blame the protests for uh, the spike in uh, coronavirus infections and uh, conveniently forgetting that, like, maybe like a month ago, there's all, all these American flag-waving uh, Trumpers out there saying that it's their free speech right to refuse to wear masks and uh, to open the economy because they wanted to get haircuts and uh, go to the bars. Like, uh, And Trump was having these big public rallies against the uh, advice of all the, you know, the CDC and stuff like that, basically just re- intentionally bucking the wearing of the mask. Like, Honestly, I think that's going to be Trump's downfall because people know it's that we're living through a plague. Also, I, I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, President slash Dictator of Brazil, uh, just Bolsonaro, just caught coronavirus too. I did see that. <laughs> well, there's one we won't miss. <laughs> Speaking of in Mississippi, uh, that right. state just decided just uh, voted, and the governor signed a uh, law basically saying they're taking down that fucking Confederate flag and within the Mississippi flag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw the lowering of the flag itself uh, on Damn. TV. Yeah. Nice, nice. I can't believe it's been up there for so long, but uh, I guess it's it's kind of uh, uh, important that, you know, that because it it flies in the face of what Trump and, you know, the the right is trying to rush to defend these statues and monuments to racism and all these Confederate generals and uh, symbols. You know, he, uh, of course, passed that executive order basically trying to criminalize uh, people who are taking down the statues and to punish the cities that are uh, also, you know, on their own volition, decide to take down uh, these symbols as well. So, yeah, the state is calling in the full apparatus of repression to target the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Trump uh, was calling in the military to uh, work the protest. Uh, he was sending the Department of Homeland Security to protect uh, his monuments to racism. Georgia uh, governor, uh, that piece of shit Kemp, was calling in the National Guard to, uh, pr- uh, to protect the state buildings so he could uh, free up. So he says the local police, so that he could increase patrols in the neighborhoods. And uh, it's like you're completely missing the point here. We're, at, we're demanding no police, not more police, no police. Right. So it's been reported that over 10,000 people have been arrested in this uprising. Some are facing years in jail. Many cases are actually being charged with federal crimes to increase sentences. Some are actually even receiving terroristers for as little as breaking a window or setting fire to cop cars. So we are already seeing major repression of this movement. But a lot of what Trump is saying, for example, that Antifa is behind the Black Lives Matter movement, that they are terrorists who hate America, is just pure political huffing and puffing. There isn't actually any substantial bite to this executive order for statues, for example, is more or less just directs cops to enforce already existing laws which protect these statues. 
even though he said people should be getting a year for burning a flag, which has long been constitutionally accepted free speech, or 10 years for taking down a statue, there is no new enforceable law or even a way to identify people as being members of Antifa, which is an idea that not only everyone should get behind because fascists are fascists, but also there is no centralized organization or network that they can place on some domestic terrorist list or prove that an individual is a member of. And although it's very much political posturing to whip up his base, it has given the green light to take to basically brutalize protesters whenever they feel like it, which is a horrid irony because that is the reason why people are out in the streets protesting in the first place. Right, and they're uh, justifying their police brutality uh, by uh, there's a full-blown propaganda effort by the right to discredit Black Lives Matter by uh, sensationalizing the supposed rise in crime and violence, especially in cities like Atlanta and Chicago, essentially blaming protesters for the deaths of children and uh, to justify their brutality. Yeah, Chicago has been so corrupt and resistant to any policy change with regard to the defund or abolish the police movement. For example, in Chicago, Police Chief Superintendent Brown that they were going to preemptively sweep the streets, and especially what they're calling drug corners of teenagers. This comes on the heel of Trump's letter to Governor Pritzker and fake progressive mayor Lightfoot to restore law and order, a.k.a. martial law, to the city that's plagued with gun violence, as they would say it. In fact, Lightfoot fulfills her commitment to 1,200 more officers on the south and west side streets to foreign black neighborhoods in order to preemptively arrest teenagers before July 4th. They are hyper-sensationalizing the violence in order to fight the Black Lives Movement, which states the police are not necessary for conflict resolution. CPD is bucking the need to understand crime as a result of systemic marginalization and decades of governmental policies which have impoverished the black community. And they are doing so without any mention to addressing the social causes of crime at all. CPD Superintendent Brown slandered the people he intends on arresting as, quote, evil, murderous bastards. The city's solution to the problem of crime is a preemptive sweep of black and brown youth who exist in areas that are labeled as high crime areas and to throw them into Cook County Jail, quote, for at least throughout the weekend, meaning they are knowingly warehousing the youth in an epicenter for a deadly virus, not for actually committing crimes, but for living in areas that they have criminalized. These youth will then be released and take it back to the community. And it has come out that about 15% of all coronavirus cases in Illinois can be traced back to Cook County Jail. There, it was, I think, about a week ago, uh on his official Twitter account, oh, yeah, he posted yeah. about a dozen, quote, wanted posters of protesters that had been uh, with pictures and everything. Photos of protesters, individual protesters. Yeah, he shared pictures of individual protesters that were wanted for prosecution for removing statues to these fucking racist pieces of shit. And I mean, like, right. that, I mean... Everybody knows his base is fucking racists and Nazis, and a lot of the a lot of the pictures that he shared were of people of color. And oh yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, it's part like, of the trend of uh, Trump is inciting violence against you know uh, he's in, uh, encouraging police to shoot looters. Uh, he's uh, retweeting videos of you know people chanting white power and uh, uh, those people holding that assault rifle, pointing at the crowds and stuff like that. Like yeah, that uh, dog is gone. Oh yeah. It is not a dog whistle anymore. I mean, it's, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, this is a dog whistle, this is a dog whistle. It's, yeah, it is not a dog whistle anymore. But I also think it's really important to recognize, like, people are saying, uh, when people see these things, they're saying, oh, welcome to Trump's America. This is just America. Like, this is just America. Yeah, Confederate flags have been around, whether or not the, the fucking state takes them down. 
it's like you sure as hell know you're still going to fucking wander around and see these motherfuckers everywhere. Right. I mean, it's not, and it's not just Confederate flags. It's not just statues. Racism had, like, this country was built on genocide and slavery. And, I mean, especially as we come up to the 4th of July, you know, people, it is Independence yeah. Day. Yay. It's when we gained our freedom. No, it's when wealthy white slaveholders, you know, quote, the Yeah, speaking of symbols of racism, how about the American flag? You know what I mean? How about right. a flag burning day, right? Take that right. flag down, too. Right, exactly. Like, we still have, I mean, look at prisons. We still have monuments to slavery all across our fucking country. A lot of these prisons, especially in Louisiana and Mississippi, were former slave plantations, too, like the famous Angola prison. Yeah, Angola. Parchment, I believe. Yeah, you're actually quite close to Parchment. Right. There are so many people that still don't know that the 13th Amendment didn't abolish slavery in prisons. Right. Yeah, check that. 13. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard from so many people that it's a really good one. If anybody has Netflix or knows somebody that has Netflix or knows of another way to get it, uh, 13 is a documentary. Yeah, it's, really- it's also especially sinister when you're talking about forced labor uh, in prisons uh, where we can't organize unions or have access to, like, uh, fair labor laws or health and safety laws, but when it, when you're talking about uh, private prisons like like Core Civic and CCA, it's even more sinister. It's like, how is how is this company like profiting off of you know forced labor, and and they're lobbying Congress to keep these laws in place. Um, and and, and I, I certainly didn't ask to come to a CCA prison. I don't even know why they're on here. Uh, coronavirus in prison. You know, we talked about this at the last episode. You know, we went on, on Grady County, and basically, it's 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 like the worst time to be in prison right now. Uh, you know, these prisons are completely unable and unwilling to prevent these mass infections. People are dying. People are getting sick. There's deliberate indifference, criminal negligence. We we have no way that we could protect ourselves. We don't have hand sanitizers. We don't have uh, social distancing. And we talked quite a bit about this at uh, the Grady County Jail. Fortunately, I'm not that dumb. For now, um, not that uh, any of jailers, you know, I'd still rather be free, of course. But yeah, this is basically the worst time to be locked down. Most the BOP as a whole is still locked down. They're only letting people uh, out of their cells for 15 minutes every three days to use the shower or use the phone. They've suspended all visits. Uh, there's no programming, which would include RDAP and the programming for the first step back, where you can earn up to 10 days off a month. So that's that's all suspended. Uh, most places don't have recreation. So we can't get like sunlight or vitamin D, which of course is you know what what a lot of scientists are saying it could help the immune system protect against the coronavirus. So we we don't have outside rec. So basically the pandemic is magnified for people in prison, and uh, a lot of uh, jails such as the Cook County Jail is like uh, epidemic hotspots. Yeah. Well, also tying that back to the whole you know prison slavery thing, there are there were so many prisons that at the beginning switched over to making hand sanitizer. Oh, yeah. Um, When hand sanitizer is banned in prisons, both for the alcohol content and the pump itself is, like, the plastic bottle and the pump itself is banned. 
in prison. Right. See, we um, just hand sanitizer or something, right? Yeah, the alcohol content is too high, and the pump is a is banned. There were prisoners in prison making hand sanitizer that they then couldn't use themselves. Uh, you know, weren't being given masks. There was a huge overcrowding problem. You know, there were states that were very resistant to releasing anybody. Like, I know that New York was one of them. Um, Ohio is another one. And New York and now Ohio prisons are a huge hotspots. I haven't looked at the numbers. I can't imagine they've gotten much better. But Ohio... Oh, yeah, talking about Ohio, uh, the BOP, uh, Elkton, you know, there's been numerous lawsuits, of course, like I think like a dozen or so. But anyways, uh, against Elkton uh, as a federal prison, the courts ordered them to start releasing people because of the high death rates and so forth. Uh, you know, they have the National Guard working there, and there's just a lot of horror stories uh, coming out of that prison. But the BOP, talking about prison slavery again, they're still sending people to Unicor. They're still sending people to work in their sweatshops, uh, in this case, making masks, I believe. But uh, they, I, they said that people weren't even able to wear masks while they were making them or something like that. I've just heard so many different horror stories from so many prisons about people not caring about sick, you know, about sick people, about prisoners not being given, you know, any, not even adequate PPE, any PPE whatsoever, you know, about prisoners being told, you know, about phones to put a sock over the phone, you know, to protect from germs instead of actually being given things to clean, you know, they're being told, put, you know, put a sock over the phone and, like, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which is not how this works at all. For anyone out there, there's a great project. It's called COVID-19 Behind Bars. It's oh, great. Yeah. yeah, you should you should check it out. It's been tracking all of the COVID out, out, outbreaks in prison. It's got some great information and some, like, actions that you can take if you check out the tags. Everybody should check it out. We'll definitely put that link in the description. Yeah. It's being run by some great people. Everybody should check it out. One kind of thing I want to bring up is the myth early on that people were saying was that, you know, well, during a pandemic, one of the safest places you could be is a prison. You know, you're isolated from everybody. And um, huh. one, that, that quickly turned out to be not true at all, as we're seeing uh, people behind prison face extraordinarily higher rates of exposure, uh, you know, of, you know, positive testing. Um, when there is testing, they're definitely under testing all the way around. But one of the beliefs is that, you know, you're, you could stay in your cell and you don't have to interact with everyone. But we also just com- completely ignore the mass psychological damage that uh, what is really solitary confinement uh, has on a person. Um, you, Jeremy, you were talking about having 15 minutes every three days to go out is unbelievable violation right. of human rights. And the, the guards are going out in their daily lives, you know, perhaps, perhaps facing exposure risks, and they're coming to work and they're interacting with, you know, people inside jails. And, you know, they're, it's, it's likely that the guards are the ones who are bringing in the virus in the first place. But Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Regardless, um, talking about uh, the jail's ability to safely quarantine people, I would like to see, uh, hear about your opinion on that, Jeremy, as you, were, um, right. you released a whole number of videos uh, in Grady County over this last month or two showing sure. the, some of the conditions going on inside there where people are triple bunked. Um, in dorms of what, like 30, 40 people. In Cook County, we, yeah. we hear stories about people who are in dorms of over 100 people, you know, and uh, who are in bunk beds who are about three feet apart from each other. It's like the idea that the prisons have the ability to safely quarantine people is just not true at all. Um, right. So, what is the quarantine yeah. process like, Jeremy? Yeah. yeah, that's right. When we were at Grady County, uh, for example, there is absolutely no way that we could have uh, 
protected ourselves. There was no social distancing. We was at, at all times within six foot from another prisoner. And basically everybody caught corona. Uh, and they were trying to deny that it happened. And they were, they were refusing to test people. And um, and they were basically trying to pass the buck off to the BOP or the U.S. Marshals. And, and that's why we, we had to make those video statements. We had to put it out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I put a, a series of videos out first about uh, the corona stuff. Uh, and then we did another one. Uh, I did another one for June 11th, uh, International Day of Action for Anarchist Prisoners. That's kind of cool. But then uh, the whole George Floyd situation, like I said in the video, many of us have experienced brutality and, and, and know what it's like. Uh, one minute remaining. Many of us experience brutality and know what it's like to be uh, abused by these guards on an everyday basis. And uh, so we, we, made, we did a little protest. Uh, we had made little signs and we made a video. It's, it's the first time I've ever been at a place that has the video... Uh, the video visit feature, and I was like, yeah, that may not ever get another opportunity to do it. So, and everybody was really mad, really upset about what was going on uh, in the news about the police killing people and getting away with it. And then we were all also really mad about our personal situation here, being unable to protect ourselves against the coronavirus because of just the criminal negligence that Grady County Jail was going on. So, uh, on, I'm just going to call you all right back. All right. Yeah, do it up. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And then there's another situation where they uh, 
they did the, a, sh- a shakedown of the unit. They kicked everybody out and, and just rustled our stuff up, took extra shirts and stuff like that. Um, and uh, this one guy, he uh, they took all his commissary, right? And uh, so he was banging on the door saying, you took my commissary, you took my commissary, right? So then uh, for some reason they were really mad about people kicking the doors, which which is kind of a time-honored tradition, you know, like just kicking the door as hard as you can. But uh, but they were really pissed about it here at Grady County. And they, they, they opened the door and they grabbed him, right? And then we were all watching from the window as they, they choked him. They did like a rear naked choke, and there was like six cops. And they were just like dragging him, trying to drag him to the ground, right? And he was, you know, he wasn't like resistant. Like, you know, he was he certainly didn't throw any punches, you know what I mean? But he was just like just kind of struggling as the cops were just choking him, right? And the cops pulled a taser, and they were like shining it on him. And had like a little laser, like a little red light, like two or three of them like on him as they were like choking him like they are about to zap. And we're all sitting there from the window just unable to help, but we were just banging on the door. And, and screaming at them, and, and the cops were, at that point, very conscious of what was going on. Uh, they were like, oh, wow, we're being washed, right? So uh, they, uh, fortunately, the guy was able to stand up on his own, you know, well, once they, and then they dragged him off, and they put him in the hole. But, uh, they, you know, that, that, of course, got the whole unit really riled up. Uh, and then, like, not that long afterwards, uh, like, a couple cops came in the unit, and they were trying to be all, all soft. It's like, listen. We we know what happened to George Floyd was terrible, you know. Uh, I myself have uh, uh, family members in prison, uh, and like, dude, you're a fucking cop. And he, dude, and he was trying to like calm us down and stuff like that. And uh, we was wondering, like, can we get your names? Can we get the names? He's like, oh, I can't give you the names of the guys who were the the, the guards who were. It was, it was it was really horrible actually, and it happened like right in the middle of this whole George Floyd uprising. Um, and so we just seen it for ourselves and. Uh, and then that's when we made the second video, although we didn't mention didn't mention it in the video itself. But this is it's just the type of stuff that unfortunately happens in these jails and prisons all the time, and usually just unaccounted for. They just slip through the cracks, and, and they just get away with it. It's the whole thing is like you know the, all the times we see the police brutalizing people, you know. But I'll think of all the times we don't see it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just I just don't think people understand this what exactly happens in prisons on dates on a day-to-day basis. Well, the whole thing is they, they think of us as less than human beings, and they think that our lives don't mean anything, and that they could just get away with, with assaulting us and brutalizing us with impunity. And uh, it's the same thing that happens in the streets with the police officers, and that's, and that's why this uprising has to happen. Um, fortunately, they finally moved, are starting to move people out of Grady County Jail. Yeah, that was a real dump, but... Uh, <clears throat> So going along with the, the corona transfer stuff, there's 7,000 people or so in the U.S. Marshals' custody who are already sentenced inmates who are awaiting transfer to a BOP prison. And we've been, because of this lockdown stuff, we've been waiting you know, for months at Grady County Jail uh, for them to start calling names, but they haven't been doing it. They finally did it, but, uh, but I didn't go where I expected to be going. transferred from Grady County to Tallahassee County Correctional in the middle of fucking nowhere, unincorporated land near Cutler, Mississippi. He's going to tell you about being transferred after months of being in limbo. 
But since this is the first time Jeremy has been to a core civic jail, and since they are the second biggest private prison corporation in the country, I figured it was worth doing a little bit of research into the recent history of core civic, which until the Trump era was known as the Corrections Corporation of America. CCA proudly states it is the world's first modern private for profit prison. Perhaps they could be given credit for inaugurating in the prison industrial complex itself. In 1984, they opened their first jail, which was a motel modified to house immigrant detainees. They also can be given credit for opening the first private juvenile detention center. They capitalized heavy from the racist tough-on-crime and war on drugs policies in which they themselves are co-architects. Of course, Civic is a member and financial backer of the American Legislation Exchange Council, or ALEC, who literally draft legislation for Congress people at the state and federal level on behalf of corporations. successfully pushed laws such as mandatory minimums, three strikes, truth in sentencing, which greatly explored the prison population and rewarded CoreCivic with more contracts. The reasoning behind why it's problematic for prisons to be ran privately are obvious. Cutting corners and providing less quality of life for prisoners in order to squeeze out profit is a calculus of suffering. But perhaps the most egregious practice of CoreCivic is their long exploit of the 13th Amendment loophole, which allows the criminalized to be unpaid for prison labor, specifically with reference to Unicor, which is what's called a government corporation. Amidst all the scandals, corruption, even an FBI investigation, in 2016, Attorney General Sal Yates wrote a memo announcing that the BOP and Department of Homeland Security would begin to phase out contracts with for-profit prisons because, according to their own analysis, the facilities are both less safe and less effective at providing correctional services. This was in August. Three months later, in October, Corrections Corporation of America rebranded and changed its name to Corsetic to avoid their stained reputation and horrid history. Then Trump won the Electoral College in November, and immediately Corsetic stock started soaring again. Although the criminalization of immigrants expanded rapidly under Bush with the establishment of ICE and during the Obama administration as well, Trump's platform of law and order, particularly with his xenophobic war on immigrants, was a clear sign that public opinion didn't matter and that there was still money to be made. Course Civic contributed financially to the Trump campaign and was rewarded greatly from his policies, which expanded the immigrants' prison system. And four months into Trump's occupation of the White House, Jeff Sessions rescinded the previous administration's plan to end private prisons, and the contracts with CCA started coming in again. These days, the family separation and detention practiced by profiteers, which include Course Civic, has become so reviled by the public that Course Civic had to form a PR advocacy group to fix their image at prison profiteering partnering with other private prison groups like GEO and Management and Training Corporation to form what they call the Day One Alliance. Recently, they've been writing hack slander pieces against the abolitionist movement, defending ICE agents and SEALs at their facilities as essential workers and heroes instead of being guards of negligent death camps. So basically, fuck CCA. But, uh, but seriously, though, uh, so Jeremy, tell us how you escaped from Grady County Jail. So... Well, what first happened is they, they called us at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and they put us in a bullpen for like seven hours, right? What? This, this, yeah, this is what they do. You know, this benches. This, this, this is actually regular, right? Then they put the chains on, right? And they put the chains on really tight. And, uh, oh, they gave us a bologna sandwich, too, at 1 o'clock. Yeah. Got that it. was the first. That, that was the last we were going to eat for a very long time. Um, so then uh, they uh, brought us downstairs to the garage, right? And then they opened the door, right? And, and and remember, that's the first time I had, like, fresh air. And it wasn't quite sunlight. It was, like, six. It was, like, dawning, right? But uh, sun and fresh air for a long time, right? And they had the bus out there. And so they started calling us one by one. And, and then we had to walk, and we're chained to the bus, right? So when they called my name, I started walking. 
but I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna walk a little slow. All right, I'm just, you know, not not like crazy slow, but first, you can't walk that fast anyways with those ankle chains on, right? Otherwise, they like pull on your Achilles tendon and it just really hurts. But, uh, dude, the cop fucking saw it, right? And he was like, dude, get over here, get over here, right? And I'm like, do what, right? So, this, so without any warning whatsoever, he's like, oh, let me play with the cuffs for a second, right? He, he uh, first, he puts the, uh, the black box on, right? And I think we talked about the black box before, like one of the... Yeah, the first episode. Right, it's the box that prevents you from being able to twist the cuffs. Um, and then he, uh, and then, uh, the thing about that is it's, it's, you know, I've been black boxed basically every time I've been transferred, right? But I guess they didn't really know or care about it this time, right? But this time he was using it as like a means of punishing me for, uh, walking slowly, which is, which is also another, like, you know, it's, they're not supposed to do that. It's, it's not as a tool to like, make you uncomfortable to punish people who are like mouthing off or walking slowly, right? And then he tightens my cuffs like a motherfucker, like really bad, right? And so that was, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really, I was like, man, come on, this is way too tight. He's like, yeah, tell it to the marshals. Tell it to the marshals when you get to the plane. I'm like, and, you know, they ain't going to do nothing. They ain't going to uncuff you and unt- uh, loosen your cuffs when you're on the tarmac, you know, boarding the plane, right? So then they put us in the bus. And the bus is, is one of these Grady County buses to where there's no windows that you can see out of, except at the very top there's, like, these horizontal slits that you can't really see out of. You could see, like, upwards. Like, you, you could see, like, the tops of trees maybe, right? And so uh, that's one of my favorite things about being transported is being able to, like, you know, see the outside world, right? You know, I was able to see uh, the jail as we were leaving. which was kind of cool. It was like, bye, jail. And then uh saw this huge fucking Amazon fucking warehouse thing. It was just huge. It was like several blocks, right? And then we got to the airport, and I was able to see the uh, Oklahoma City jail, right, the prison, or right? the other prison, right? Like, hi, jail. I did. I wish I was there instead of Grady County Jail. You know, that's the FTC, Oklahoma, where we usually go. So then we got on the plane. None of us had any idea where we were going. Uh, I mean, I knew ultimately I was going back to FCI Memphis, but most everybody else had no idea what was going on, right? So, you know, they don't tell you where you're going immediately either. So we're on the plane, looking out the window, and I see the, eventually I see the Mississippi River, and I see downtown Memphis. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to prison, right? So we land in the airport. <laughs> Another thing about the airport is it's, it's huge. It's got a... Hold on, one second. Can I, get a, can I get that in writing? Can I get that in writing? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I put it a request in, you know. Uh, thank you. That's them telling me uh, that the sick call request uh, for to get tested for corona was denied, or they're not they're not going to do it unless they have symptoms or whatever the fuck. I'll get back to that in a second. I'm going to talk to the CCA stuff. Okay. Anyways... So I'm looking at the airport, and another thing about the Memphis airport is that there's a huge FedEx, like, warehouse. There's, like, 100 FedEx planes. It's just half the airport of Memphis is, like, a FedEx distribution center. So we got the Amazon distro, we got the jail, big jail, and we got this FedEx distro, right? But uh, they're t- they take everybody off the plane, they, and, we, and we got on a bus, but we're not going to FCI Memphis. They're like, oh, yeah, you guys are going to Mississippi. Like, Mississippi? The fuck? And then people are talking. I was like, well, there's some things about the DOP is putting people on these quarantine sites. There's Yazoo City, Oklahoma City, and uh, Terminal Island. As uh, people who are entering the BOP are supposed to be going to these quarantine sites first, right? So we're thinking maybe we're going to Yazoo City first to quarantine and then going to be sent to our place, right? Now we're now we uh, ended up going to uh, Tallahatchie uh, County Correctional Facility, which is owned by CCA uh, or Core Civic, right? And so we're driving, and it's just nothing but corn for like four hours, right? And this rickety bus, this 
And then, you know, there's no res uh, restraints or seatbelts on this bus either. So, you know, every little stop, like, and bump in the road, and, and, and there's some rickety roads too. And, you know, we're again, cornfields, Mississippi. Just, so we're just bumping up and down. Like, my cuffs are hurting like a motherfucker, right? They abruptly break one time, and, and a bunch of people fall off the chairs. Uh, and it hurt like a motherfucker. Yeah. So, yeah, it was terrible. And then, and that whole thing took like four hours. The plane was a couple hours. Then, uh, eventually, we see nothing but corn, and then there's this huge-ass fucking jail. Like, a huge, huge jail. It, it, it's, it's as far as I can see. It's like, wow, this thing is giant, right? There's like, there's like 2,000 people here. So we pull in. And I never met a jail I liked. But I have to say, uh, most people are pretty happy to be here as opposed to Grady County Jail because, you know, it's, let's say the Grady County is like the low bar, you know, I mean, the, the, the lowest possible standards, right? So here we at least, they at least, they don't give us fruits, but they, there are some vegetables on the trays. You know, uh, it's it's not as crowded. They, they, they wash clothes more regularly. Remember, Grady County gives you one set of clothes a week. Um, but they say we're quarantine status and we're in we're in a unit just just with us, and uh, we don't get wrecked. There's no library. There's no religious services. Uh, the fire alarm also goes off here randomly all night. Uh, it, it leaks. The ceiling leaks when it rains. Uh, and so you know it's it's just another jail. But it is better than Grady County though. Not that I have anything good to say about CCA in general. You know actually CCA has a lot of people have a, a pretty positive rep for CCA because they they say it's they say it's turned off. They say that, like, is, the guards really don't give a fuck about anything that goes on here because they're, like, basically minimum wage paid employees and they're, they're not really trying to police you. And my experience so far is they're not really too, they're not, like, abusive like they're at, at Grady County Jail, for example. But it's still the same thing, though. You know, every time we're being transferred from one jail to another, you know, we had to give away all our commissary that we had collected. You know, the money doesn't follow us automatically. That's on our books or our phones. So we got to start all over from scratch. It's been it's been two weeks. We still haven't gotten commissary here yet, you know. And 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 they say when we leave here to go wherever we're going next, you know, we're not going to be able to take anything with us either. Oh, apparently our next destination is Yazoo City, not too far from here either. So it's like, wow, I went from Alexandria to Northern Neck Regional Jail in Virginia to Grady County to here CCA, and next we're going to Yazoo City. Like we're just being bounced around, like just pointlessly, like. And is this diesel therapy? And uh, when are we going to be able to get to where we're going? As for me and several other people who are already near the end of their their bid, we're we're at the point where we could receive halfway house and home confinement immediately. Like I'm I'm something like 11 months to the door to my max date right now, and and when you're under 12 months, you could you're eligible for halfway house and home confinement. Uh, so I could basically, but they they say that you have to be in BOP custody, and because they don't do halfway house here, that's up to the BOP. You're in the marshal's custody, and and they don't do halfway house. It's like listen. Release me. There's no point continuing to transfer me or quarantine me or or anything, right? Like, there's just exposing me to coronavirus. Uh, there's it's just a hassle, you know? Pretty unbelievable. Being bounced around is it's impossible to kind of keep track of where you're going. I'm just figuring out the phone system is kind of fucked up and wanky because it's a private prison. Um, yeah, from a support standpoint, that's actually been one of the most interesting things about your whole, you know, move from here to here to here to here to here is that across the state and county jail systems, they don't have the uniform way of doing commissary, phone, things like that. Every different county prison has their own system. Some use JPay, some use, you know, Tiger Commissary. 
for email, you know, there's smart snail mail, there's this, there's this, there's, you know, all these different systems. So, you know, not knowing how long you're going to be in one place for any given period of time has made it, you know, very interesting to try to, you know, get you, you know, the proper amount of, you know, money to last you. Different rules for, uh, Different rules for books and mail as well. Yeah, diff- different rules for books and mail, you know, and then those rules can magically change at any given time based on, you know, what they feel like. You know, it's it's been... It's like doing jail support basically makes you a master at navigating labyrinths. It's difficult to even just ma- maintain a relationship with a person who's behind bars. Oh yeah, absolutely. They mean, really do it on purpose, but it's also just they just want to just be making money, so they'll just go to the lowest bidder for all these phone services, and you know the services suck, they're expensive, the fees are enormous, and they're just making fucking tons of money on it. I mean, yeah, this is the I mean, uh, CCA way. Yeah, well, yeah. not it's not even at CCA at some county systems. Put ten dollars on a phone account. There's a three dollar surcharge. It's like. Really? Yeah, the uh, surcharges on a lot of the accounts are a lot of the, you know, most of the companies, all of the companies that I have encountered charge charge surcharges. Because it's like, yeah, it's like a monopoly. It's like, well, you either want to talk to them or you don't. And if you don't pay the surcharges, well, I guess you just can't talk to your person. Yeah. And, you know, these, you know, think, think about, you know, the single parents that are just trying to, you know, keep in touch with, you know, their husband or their spouse in prison. They're trying to, you know, be able to, you know, keep their kids in touch with their parent that's in prison. The grandparents are raising the kids because the parent is in prison. I mean, some of these people aren't going to be able to afford this. I mean, sending a picture costs dollars. Yeah, especially since their person that they know that's behind bars that they're supporting is probably either a family member or a close friend, someone who may be like the you you may have like financial life together. You know, if you're if your significant other is and if you have kids for example, it means you have to handle the financial burden of not just taking care of your own family but your your, your loved one as well. Yeah, but, I mean especially if it's an older relative taking care of children because you know, it was a single parent taking care of the children, and then the single parent, because so much of survival is criminalized, you know, and then the single parent went to prison, you know, so the older relative is now caring for the children. They may already be on a fixed income because they're retired, or, and especially when you can't do things, there are rules, like you can't, you can't print multiple pictures on one piece of paper. You yeah, like what? Spend, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, like 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 you have to spend a four by six glossy photo on photo paper. Like you can't print four photos on one piece of paper from your printer and mail it with your letter. That is forbidden. Yeah, and uh. CC in particular, as far as the profit board, uh, as far as areas like medical, for example, uh, uh, they, the whole thing is about profit and, and, and reducing the uh, amount of services they give to people. So, and especially for us, we're, we're in transit, so they're, they're not trying to give us nothing. They say you got to be here for a whole year before they even do a, a dental cleaning, for example. Uh, uh, and uh, there's no programs, you know, there's no education, uh, there's no uh, 
and, and not even religious services now because of the coronavirus. They just shut all that stuff down, uh, so there's no way to even mix with other units. But uh, CCA, for example, gets like a lot of contracts with uh, like ICE or like a lot of people in the feds who uh, have uh, illegal reentry charges uh, end up going to a private jail like CCA or GEO. Um, where basically because they know they don't want to waste a whole lot of money is how they see it on people who aren't even citizens. Um, and uh, the medical is pretty bad here too. Like for example, like when I got here, I showed them the bruises I had on my cuffs, uh, my cuffs, which lasted like a whole week. My shit started turning yellow and green and stuff like that. I was like, I saw the whole course three different uh, nurses, right? And I was like, listen, please put it in writing that I have these bruises. I, I, I'm, I'm requesting that you take pictures of this. So they could send to my people so we could document the fact that they did this. We can't let them get away with it. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Nothing. Now the bruises are gone. It's been like a week and a half. Uh, I said, okay, so you were on quarantine status, right? He's like, yeah. So I'm requesting, I put it in writing, that you test me for the coronavirus, that you give me the antibody test, because I believe I caught coronavirus at Grady County about two months ago. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we don't really don't do the coronavirus here. He's like, like, well, okay, what if I want to pay for it myself? What if I want to pay for it? Like, First off, I saw on the news just yesterday that the Mississippi is offering like free corona tests. Like, oh yeah, well we uh yeah we really don't do that here, right? So, three times did I put in I put in writing. They're like, he's tried to spin me just verbally, but they're like, nah, I need a, a written response. Uh, and they say we're quarantined here, uh, which means we're there's we're not allowed to go anywhere outside the unit for anything. Not that there's anything to do outside the unit anyway, because they closed education and and uh, religious services. Um, but uh, you know, one of us actually just got sick and uh they pulled him out it's been three days and uh they said he's not going back they said that uh we can't tell you what he has or it doesn't have but the coronavirus test takes three days to get back so you guys figure it out right he's like but we are extending your quarantine for two weeks uh and we're like dude are you fucking serious like and they just you know they didn't do nothing to his cell you know it's basically all of us we've been again exposed to corona you know there's no escaping it and uh Another thing, we we can't even we don't even really have to give you guys masks, you know. If we have some extra, you know, we will give you guys some. And they did give us like a mask. Actually, they gave us two masks. So it's like, are you serious? Like this quarantine? Uh, they're like, oh well, we'll see. Uh, you guys still might be able to get wrecked, though. I know you guys haven't gotten wrecked since you've been here, right? And for me, that's I've probably had about eight hours of sunlight in the past like nine months or so since uh, since I left FCI Memphis. I had like maybe eight hours of outside wreck when I was at Alexandria, and that was it. That was it the whole time. And like I said earlier, like the vitamin D and the sunlight is natural ways to help build your immune system to protect against coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, even even if the whole vitamin D and coronavirus thing is, you know, not an actual thing, like your body needs vitamin D. And the weaker your body is, the more likely you are to get sick. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact kind of what coronavirus is fucking doing. It's like, it's just making, you know, more vulnerable situations extra motherfucking precarious. Yeah, like, absolutely. Health system was already fucking bad. Well, and especially in prisons, it's like, well, now fucking like we're hearing in Kutani County Jail, it's like there's nurses, uh, the medical, it's all shut down. No one's getting nothing. Medicine is that they've needed for any, any sort of ailment you could imagine. It's just there's people are just like not getting access to it or if it's like if they do, it's after filing numerous grievances and and months later. Were there copays at Grady to see medical? Because I know that at a lot of prisons. An eight dollar copay. What? Eight dollars. Eight dollars yeah, to just see sick call, right? And, yeah, uh, and while, all they're doing is they're just giving you aspirin. Yeah, while prisoners make literally pennies 
per hour at their quote unquote job. So a lot of people, people were uh, a lot of people didn't want to see sick call because they didn't want to waste eight dollars because they knew that they weren't going to do anything for you anyway if you were sick. So they're like, yeah. man, I ain't waste. I ain't going to see medical because this costs too much. I ain't going to waste my family's money. Yes, a, a lot of people don't know that that prison charge incarcerated people to see medical. Mm-hmm. It just makes the system extra difficult to navigate the whole web of prison system within the BOP, the lockdown, the marshals, these private prisons just make the whole situation extra fucking difficult. And for example, for your situation, being so close to the edge, eligible for halfway house is just, uh, you know, what, what can we say about this fucking prison system except that they just don't care about inmates and they, they're just completely dropping the ball in their ability to take basic care of the health of people. And for no, all the talk of uh, releasing people for coronavirus, uh, they're, they're actively opposed it every single time. They no, try to they, find reasons to. They do not care. Uh, Marius Mason, a long-term anarchist prisoner, uh, applied for compassionate release. Uh, he is over 50 years old, has served over half of his sentence, is in FBI Danbury in Connecticut. You're talking about Marius? Marius Mason? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was denied, yeah. Yeah, he he was denied, and in the order denying his compassionate release, the judge basically wrote, oh, well, only one person at FBI Danbury has died, so it's not that bad. Only one person died. That, that That was the exact word. Those are the exact words. Only one inmate has died. And uh, I believe Marius also caught corona as well, right? Yeah, right. He, yeah and he has, un- he has underlying health conditions, which most prisoners do from being kept in cages, not being given exercise, not being given nutritional food, not being given health care for years and years and years. I mean, most prisoners are going to have some sort of underlying health con- conditions. Mm-hmm. You brought up a point about uh, CCA and ICE. And uh, CCA was actually just in the news again recently uh, due to the coronavirus stuff. Um, ICE is not deporting uh, a lot of people uh, to Mexico and South Central America, coronavirus, right? And so all the people who are in ICE detention centers, including CCA and GEO and a few others, are just here, just doing dead time, just just waiting, right? And for, it's been months, and uh, with no path forward for the foreseeable future and catching coronavirus in these, these raggedy-ass detention centers, uh, run by CCA. Uh, for example, uh, there's there's an individual here in my pod here. He uh, he completed his federal sentence just last week, but he uh, has an ICE detainer, and he's just awaiting deportation now. So now he's just like waiting for them to just go about deporting him, but that's not happening anytime soon. So again, just free time, but not free to CCA. They're making lots of money though. Still making money. It's the, the idea of sending someone to prison only with the guarantee of supporting them afterwards just seems so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. One of the largest federal uh, crimes is uh, illegal reentry. That's that's no other crime other than returning to the United States is a federal crime that you could actually do years for. People are doing years for that. And then eventually they'll deport them when they're done getting everything that they wanted out of them.
actually one of the really interesting things that was uncovered in Blue Leaf, which was uh, this really cool drop that just happened, um, was that uh, police departments were saying to not actually release prisoners uh, because of COVID, because you never know who might have been radicalized in prison. Ah, they might not have been radical when they went in, but they might be radical now. Ah. And, um, you know, so to specifically not release prisoners uh, because of COVID, um, because, you know, you never, you never know who might become the next terrorist. Ah! Um, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, maybe if prisoners weren't put in solitary and tortured and dehumanized on a daily basis, maybe they wouldn't come out radicalized. Just a thought. Um, that is sinister. That is sinister that they would prefer that we die in jail and prison uh, because they can't protect us and they don't want to release us, so they, they'd rather that we die. Um, but that is uh, good that that information had come out, and that brings us to our next topic, the Blue Leaks um, release of information. Uh, now, there's an epic, epic hack, epic leak, 269 gigabytes, all police and all their intel. Uh, Anonymous is back in the game. Uh, I'm very excited. I was very inspired. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I am actually on the DDoS team, and this was just for full disclosure. I am on the DDoS team. I am married to one of the co-founders of DDoS, and and best full disclosure right right there. So. Um, Wait, who's holding the rat though? I am. The rat is currently, I have my legs kind of, I'm sitting kind of cross-legged, and so I have this little triangle right in the middle, and he is literally just curled up in the middle of my legs. Wait, Enzo doesn't have a rat? No. So uh, we have two rats. Uh, Their names are Puka and Kea. Kea is the snuggler. Puka is not aggressive, but he has just made it very clear that he is not ready or he's not ready to be handled yet, which is fine. Like I said at the beginning, they were both lab rats that were used in food deprivation experiments, so we don't know what kind of trauma they went through at the lab. So we're just giving uh, Puka a little bit more time just to warm up to us. Free them all. Free them all. And see all the cages. Literally can't say that enough. Free them all. Yeah. So about these blue leaks. Yeah. So yeah, Anonymous just hacked the pigs in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. The hacktivist collective distributed denial of secrets released Blue Leak on Juneteenth, a holiday which celebrates the date where the last captives in the U.S. slave state found out about their emancipation. The leak contains almost 300 gigabytes of data, which includes a massive trove of emails and internal memos from hundreds of law enforcement agencies. There's, it's so huge that we'll probably be spending months, if not years, poring over this and analyzing the broad strokes, which the underlying attitudes and rhetoric of police discourse over many years, but also details on police training, tactics, and politics. Numerous efforts are being made to take this information down. As always, we're doing our best to maintain security and are always on guard against potential repression. Multiple mirrors, for example, have already been reportedly removed, and of course, Twitter permanently banned the DDoS account and are also actively taking down posts about blue leaks, including screenshots and... Yeah, the Twitter the Twitter response has actually been extremely um, heavy-handed. I'm actually locked out of my account for tweeting a screenshot from one of the documents in the leak. Uh, they have banned... They actually marked as unsafe 
a website that was not the DDoS secret website. It was misspelled. Uh, it had two S's in it instead of one. Um, didn't go anywhere. It was a it was a domain that was not registered, um, and they Twitter Twitter blocked it as possibly being unsafe just because it was too close to the actual uh, DDoS secrets website. They have marked as unsafe um, articles talking about their censorship, like news articles talking about their censorship. When you try to click on them, a little pop-up will come up saying that this link has uh, been marked as unsafe, that it might infect your computer with uh, malware or might steal, uh, might steal your password. Again, these are news articles literally talking about Twitter's censorship. It's going down news had to was locked out of their account and had to remove three tweets, uh, one of which was actually related to Blue Leaks. The other two, one of them was a screenshot from the New Jersey uh, New Jersey DHS website. Uh, again, all public information. The other one was actually from FOIA. Documents again, all public in information. So Twitter has come down extremely he heavy-handed on blue leaks. People have been suspended for um, tweeting screenshots from the leaks, for just tweeting links to the DDoS website. I mean, it's just been my wife and Beth was locked out of their account for tweeting about me being suspended um, and including, Better say sorry. yeah, um, so Twitter has come down extremely heavy-handed on Blue Leaf. I, I want to ask about uh, the challenges of making sure this information continues to be available. I know this has been difficult because that's a massive amount of data. Yeah, it is a massive amount of data. One of the main problems that uh, we had in the first little bit was um, server uh, server getting slow, especially with the response by Twitter. Um, I don't think Twitter quite understands what happens when you tell hackers they can't have something. Um, mm -hmm. So it was kind of a Streisand effect. Uh, there was 10,000 times more interest, like literally 10,000 times more interest um, than what was expected. Um, so the servers got really slow. If anybody wants to donate money to help keep servers up and running, that would be super awesome. Um, and also now German authorities seized the primary public download server for Blue Leaks. Now, we always knew that there was going to be some blowback from the pigs, but we just got to make sure that Blue Leaks stays available. But of course, that can't possibly stop people from being able to access it anyways. You know, it's, it's the Streisand effect. The more they try to shield people from being able to see it, like the more people are going to wonder, is like maybe there's something in this, maybe there's something to this. Um, and I mean, of course there is. It's there bonus. has already been numerous things discovered in there that are definitely in the public interest. Police departments being warned that Antifa are going to kill you with bombs and unsubstantiated, non-specific fear-mongering. All it does is basically just create an atmosphere where police just view everyone they're looking at as potential, as more of a target. Oh, absolutely. Oh. And, I mean, with intel like that, I mean, it's not 
not that police need a reason to hurt protesters, but I mean, it just ties into it, it creates more of that culture of fear where you have Trump talking about, you know, anarchists and looters and we're going to shoot them on, you know, I won't be gentle. And then we have police departments getting intel that everybody is going to be killed with bombs. And then, you know, you wonder why we have you know, protesters who are kneeling in the streets and being met with like tear gas and rubber bullets. And we have reporters getting their eyes literally sought out. Yeah. It's uh, so preposterous uh, thinking of, uh, for example, uh, Trump calling um, that uh, the elderly gentleman who was pushed by the police, uh, calling him uh, uh, Antifa provocateur. Uh, yeah, it just you know. goes and reinforces the whole Antifa terrorist. Uh, but then if you just examine it, like you can see that clearly in that case, and like all these examples of the feds uh, looking at people's social media profiles and reporting to local police and warning them about these preposterous Antifa plots. Well, but it's not even just protesters that are being marked as dangerous. In one of the documents in Blue Weeks, they're talking about, quote, anarchist extremists. And list, listed under anarchist extremists are lawyers and these documents don't just show that they're that they're targeting, you know, protesters. They're 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 listing as extremists lawyers and medics and they even say like the lawyers some you know, the document says that the lawyers might wear bright neon green hats, which is obviously a reference to the National Lawyers Guild. Yeah, right. Wow. And yet they are being listed on a document directly tied to, quote, anarchists and Antifa extremists. It's, it's to undermine our cause and to discredit people uh, and also to uh, use the full weight of the law enforcement's uh, uh, abilities under, like, counterterrorism efforts to deny people their basic rights uh, to lawyers and medics. Um, and, uh, and we understand that. Trump was talking about adding him to domestic terrorists. I, I, I think that there, w- there wasn't actually like a domestic terrorist like list per se, but there's, isn't there like something like a million uh, American citizens who are on like the terrorist watch list? And if they could just use somebody's social media posts to have that added to somebody's uh, record, you know, the NCIC lookup, you know, when you look it up, uh, it'll, it'll any time a police pulls you over, runs your name, or even if like. Uh, uh, criminal background check for like employers and landlords uh, would f- see that you're listed as a terrorist, um, and there's no there's no real procedure for even being aware of that or even challenging or getting that removed either. Yeah, I mean, and like social media these these days, there's one case in Philadelphia during the recent protests where a person was caught on. Uh, caught in pictures allegedly setting fire to an empty cop car and uh, they were arrested and when the when the indictment was released the feds went through how they tracked this person down mm-hmm. and I mean it was just wild like they subpoenaed Etsy and for like because the person was wearing the shirt that they found on Etsy, and like so they really? they yeah, they're deep diving and shit. 
Yeah, they they subpoenaed the Etsy shipping records from the store that they found it in. And, like, they searched Instagram for photos from that particular day. Like, if, I mean, like, we can't convict killer cops, but by God, we can fucking subpoena Etsy. Damn, dude. Uh, it should be said that Antifa has never been responsible for killing anybody. Uh, but as far as burning cop cars, I'm not shedding any tears. As a matter of fact, the flames, they warm my heart. They warm my heart. No, absolutely. Like, no fucking tears for fucking burning cop cars. Absolutely. But, I mean, it just goes to show, like, how far the feds will go to arrest and to suppress the movement. I mean, it's been reported that over 10,000 people have been arrested in this most recent uprising, and um, including many people who are facing terrorist charges, even just for as little as breaking a window or burning said cop car. Which is why it's important that uh, folks support those who have been arrested, and, and not just some of the folks who are arrested either, for that matter. I don't think it's uh, helpful at all to try to separate people between nonviolent or violent uh, so-called arrests. Uh, I think they all need to be freed. Uh, and they all need full court support and jail support. Um, and uh, and we, we support people who are out there in the streets using whatever means they feel is necessary to, to stop this, to, to end police brutality, to, to abolish the police and uh, free all the prisoners. Uh, and as far as this hacking anonymous back in the game uh, is another tool in our arsenal in which we could dismantle and expose the police for who they are, for, for violating our rights, for uh, brutality, for uh, and all this. So that's why I want to hear, uh, I want to hear more about the stuff that came out uh, in uh, these leaks. Um, you said that there, I believe there's something about police finding legal loopholes to justify their brutality. Uh, yeah, that was actually the thing that I got uh, locked out of my account for tweeting about. There's one document in the leak that um, is basically it's a class taught by this lawyer. Um, he goes around to police departments and teaches cops how to uh, use just enough police brutality to be effective, but not enough police brutality to get sued. Um, the document opens by glorifying, lionizing the detective who basically invented stop and frisk. They have his picture, it's on one whole page, blown up nice and big, and then on the next page it actually shows the police report of the infamous stop uh, that he made that was the foundation for stop and frisk. And then it goes through this whole, um, this whole list of all of these cases that have been uh, used to decide um, what constitutes excessive force and, you know, how basically has laid the ground rules of how courts decide what is excessive force. Um, and it points out in these different cases, um, as the document goes further and further and further, it starts with the foundations of the case, like, okay, this was the first case that the Supreme Court heard that, you know, laid the foundations of, you know, it talks about this three-pronged this three pronged approach that the courts look at. And then where it gets really interesting is it starts to look at some more recent cases 
One of them involved a pregnant black woman who was pulled over for going, I believe it was 32 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour uh, zone. It was, you know, she was speeding very, very slightly. Um, when she was pulled over, she refused to sign her, her, her ticket. Uh, she was seven months pregnant at the time. Um, when the cops attempted to remove her from her car to arrest her for not signing her ticket, she held on to the steering wheel and she stiffened her body. Uh, so the cops decided she was resisting arrest. And they tased her three times. A seven-month pregnant woman tased her three times. They tased her in the thigh, the shoulder, and the neck. And what this document does is it looks at this case specifically, and it says, okay, where did these cops go wrong? And what the conclusion is that it, they didn't go wrong in tasing her, for literally just not getting out of her car um, for, you know, going 32 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour speed zone, um, what, they, what they conclude was wrong with her case is that they didn't give her enough time between tasings. When they talk about her little section, when her little section, it actually includes a picture of this, you know, black woman holding her baby and the baby is smiling and laughing. And the caption of the picture is, why is this baby laughing, dot, 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 all the way to the bank? Yes, yes. Uh, her case was ruled that the cops had used excessive force. By not by not giving her enough time between tasings to comply. Um, yes. Yeah. Again, showing uh, the concerns about the money and uh, getting caught and not the harms they caused. Um, yeah, and there was another page in this document. Uh, was a whole page, and it was entitled uh, "When Does Force Look Pretty?" Um, that 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 was that was the. Uh, that was the um said it real big across the top. When does force look pretty? And on the page it had multiple pictures of cops beating people. Uh including um on the bottom of the page it also had pictures of cops murdering Eric Garner. What? Yes. Uh yes. So apparently that's when force looks pretty. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway. And these are the type of things, this is how they feel. This is the, the type of what they talk to each other about uh, when they think that nobody is listening. Yeah, um, and I mean, the horror is not, the horror is that all, this is legal. This is, this is what goes on every day. You know, it's, it's yes, you know, the, what we see, what we see is horrible, yes, but there is so much that we don't see that is just as horrific, you know, the way that police departments are trained, the way that they speak with each other, you know, when they think that no one is listening or that when they think that what they say isn't going to be heard by anybody else but other cops. 
And that's why things like blue leaks are so important because it just exposes the culture of policing and shows just how toxic and racist and corrupt it is. And I don't understand how anybody can look at something like, you know, like I, I, I just don't understand how people can look at something like Blue Leaf, look at it as a whole and think that the institution of policing is something that can be reformed. Oh, so, a lot of it just confirms what people who have already been exposed to the system, what we already know about it. Yeah, definitely. And I also just want to add that we, we really need to be careful with cities that claim they are um, abolishing the police or defunding the police. Uh, that happened. That's happened a couple times in cities around the country. And basically what has just happened, uh, a lot of people have been using Camden, New Jersey, as an example of a city that has abolished the police. They got rid of their police force uh, when what actually happened is they didn't they got rid of the Camden City Police, but they then put Camden under county police jurisdiction and ramped up sur- surveillance uh, incredibly. They ramped up surveillance. They started um, uh, – it was not good. It was not good. It was not good for the city. It was not good for pretty much anything um, uh, in New York, from what I've been hearing, I haven't really read many super in-depth articles about it, but from what I'm hearing, when they said that they defunded the police by a billion dollars, some people are saying that that money isn't really being redirected to things like education or community support pro- programs, which is what activists want and where it should be going, um, but they're basically just shuffling it around to different departments so that it doesn't look like it's going to the police, but it really is. Um, So we really need to keep holding people accountable. We can't just say, oh, look, Minneapolis has decided to, you know, disband their police department. Great. You know, we really, really need to keep up with, you know, what is happening instead and keep holding, you know, people accountable for what is then put in place because the solutions are not just to disband the current police department and put another police department in place. You know, that's not what will help. You know, we need to defund the police, put the money instead towards programs that will support the community, not just shuffle around numbers so that, you know, it looks like it's going towards something else, but it's really actually still just going straight to the cops. Right. I like how they uh, ran the mayor of Minneapolis out of the rally. Like, after you try to be all buddy-buddy with them. That's an epic video. It's an epic He's like, video. oh, are you not supportive of all the police? Get your ass out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> walk of shame, yeah. One thing I liked about uh, this leak, from what I've read, is that, for one, they, they've carefully pruned uh, the data dump yeah. for any uh, information on, say, criminal suspects, uh, but that they did not redact any information regarding private information of uh, any police officers. So we know their names. We know their addresses. We know your bank routing information, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> yes, that is correct. It was a choice that was made that we were not going to redact any information on police officers. Uh, we did try to redact as much information 
on because um, there was some information in the leak about programs for things like abuse victims, um, you know, sur survivors, uh, domestic violence programs, things like that, that, you know, we did try to redact and to take out of the leak. Excellent um, work. I read about 50 gigs of information was redacted from this leak for that reason, so protected. Yeah, about 50 to 100, yeah. Oh, shit. It, we did attempt to take out, you know, any information that may have stopped uh, a survivor and abuse victim, anything like like that. Was, but there's still a lot of work to be done as far as pouring through this information and, and looking at the documents and... Um, uh, and as far as uh, the lulls lizards out there and uh, the doctors, right, there's still plenty of info out there that, you know, you cross-check those names, people. Cross-check those names. <laughs> and one of the cool things uh, that has come about because of Blue Leafs is they're actually looking to abol to get rid of one of the fusion centers um, in the leaks, specifically because of Blue Leafs. So don't ever doubt that something like Blue Leafs can't enact real-world change. That's right. And uh, what do you think this means for uh, Anonymous? You know, I know that this is this has been a major major victory here, uh, and it's good to see uh, folks being involved in you know relevant uprising of our time. It's, it's our moment. Uh, do you, do you think this is like a new trend for Anonymous? What has the reaction been within uh, that community? I would really hope so. Um, it's been encouraging to see. The resurgence, it's been encouraging to see, um, you know, people wanting to do more. It's, I would really hope that this does, you know, it, it's just been encouraging. And Right. And uh, remember, uh, wear a mask, everybody. Wear a yes, mask. Yes, <laughs> please. Yeah. Please. Even if you're just browsing uh, the Internet, wear a mask. <laughs> right. Don't want to get a virus while you're browsing the Internet. On the Internet, in the streets, or in the sheets. Wear a mask, everybody. worldwide has also been active, which, um, again, super encouraging. Um, and I don't yeah. think that Anonymous Worldwide gets as much credit as they should for the work that they do. Um, and uh, everybody should go check out. You know, One thing I'm excited about well. is uh, thinking about uh, what you're experiencing uh, at DDoS with uh, the Twitter ban and stuff. Is uh, it, it reminds me of... Uh, 
the uh, economic blockade against WikiLeaks from years ago, right, in which uh, Anonymous took action uh, against the credit card companies. But one, one thing that's different about this is, like you said, uh, that Anonymous is active in all the, these other leaks around the world, and it's, it's different cliques of groups, it's different uh, organizations, is that the whole leaking apparatus is now uh, it's decentralized. It's a lot of different actors, it's a lot of different uh, people uh, and responsible. You know, I mean, it's not a single, you know, WikiLeaks organization run by uh, a cisgendered white man. You know, um, and yeah. so it's encouraging. It's not. It's no longer just in the hands of just one organization. Uh, that could have its faults, like WikiLeaks. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I like working with GDOS, it's run by queer people, it's run by trans people. I'm not saying that, you know, organizations run by queer and trans people can't have its faults, but, I mean, it's collectively run. Um, you know, we're a bunch of queer and trans people, so that's one of the reasons that I super like working with GDOS. Well, I don't know if there's anything else we want. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jay. Well, I'm just excited the fact that, you know, this, like, eh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I, was, I don't know if there's anything more about Blue Leafs we want to say. Wait, but... There's one more thing that I do want to say about okay. DDoS because I think that you will find it hilariously funny. Uh, there was one release in Blue Leafs that says that hackers are using Kali Linux to hack things from prison. In, in, in prison. So, I you wish. Know, Running it on, you know, I guess the fucking might be a PlayStation or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was interesting. That's funny. This, yeah, you're right. It's exciting to see, you know, other platformers publishing leaks with greater analysis, carrying what everyone's hoped for. Other organizations such as WikiLeaks was doing. So Julian Assange, who uh, you know is still under, you know, who has actually just picked up another. In- Another indictment about anonymous? It's a superseding in, in indictment, so it kind of takes the place of the old of the old one. But there were no new charges, just some new details um, written into the indictment. Yeah, uh, from what I read uh, that uh, of the indictment, uh, like you said, no new charges. They just kind of. It's kind of weird that they just enhanced what was already written with, like, additional chat logs. And uh, one thing is uh, that they pretty much made it clear that Sabu was definitely uh, more involved, uh, was probably probably testified at the grand jury. Basically, they're just trying to make Assange look like more of an active orchestrator of the of the leaks that were being made. Uh, they're trying to make it look like he was encouraging hacks and stuff like that, um, which, of course, is ironic because, you know, as we previously discussed, Sabu, while acting as a uh, FBI informant, for the FBI uh, was, of course, soliciting and encouraging and facilitating all kinds of hacks worldwide. Um, so, uh, one one other thing I want to say about it is that there's there was no chat logs from my system that they seized when they raided, uh, which is basically what they're looking for. Uh, and and of course, there is no statements from me or any uh, charges uh, added to the indictment um, because of me. So. I did my part. It's another it's another important reason to continue just to fucking make sure we never fucking talk to the feds or the pigs regarding anything. It's always better to stay silent and say the one magic word. Fuck you, pig. I mean lawyer. Lawyer. <laughs> lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> Thank you.
next section to the podcast was called Letter to the Liberals. Um, so, all right, so um, I'll just read it. I'm sorry. I know this must be a confusing time for you. You know, you want to end systemic racism, but you don't support the the violent, riotous protesters, but they're also the ones leading the way to end systemic racism. It's confusing. You did everything you could to support the cause, you know, from posting black squares on social media, checking in on your black friend and make sure to let them know that you're not racist. I know you're going through a really hard time with the target burned down and you're worried about your boutique down the street because you saw some bricks on a pallet the other day. Please, just, just drop the outside agitator myth because it's just erasing black agency in this multiracial uprising that is making the world a little less racist. I know you feel a lot of guilt right now, but you're still going to have to participate. You're just going to have to to listen a little bit and follow from the most effective, okay? It's not all about you. It could be about you every other day, just not right now. But you owe the riotous liberals. We have rioters to thank for the civil rights. If it wasn't for the threat of violence, the show of revolutionary force, we wouldn't have the establishment shaking in their skin suits and chasing the movement, offering piecemeal reforms for political clout. So you have rioters to thank for defunding the police. Just know that this isn't our end goal. It isn't really what we want. It's not fair. You always get what you want. We're, all, we're saying abolish the police, but you always gaslighting us and telling us we don't really mean that. And for the love of my lack of God, quit placing all your bets on electoral politics. Look, 2020 elections is going to be wearing a gas mask, walking through a police barricade surrounded by mouth breathers. All just to give a vote to a mummy over a flaccid statue? No thanks. Our efforts are best, better put elsewhere. We can protect us. So, that's it. Right on. That's just funny. I think you need, like, one line at the very end, though, to kind of, like, conclude it, though. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. What do you got? I don't have it. I don't have it, though. I'm saying that it just needs one line. Uh, black Lives Matter, listen to black voices, and take black concerns seriously. There it is. You said it. And since we just finished Pride Month, uh, black trans people matter, black queer people matter, black trans women matter. Sure do. Absolutely. I, I will say this because right after um, the killing of George Floyd, there was a murder of a black trans man, Tony McDade. Black trans men matter as well. Say his name. Tony McDade. Yeah, he was experiencing a mental health crisis, and he was murdered by the police. So, Tony McDade, uh, rest in power. So, every day we're, we're seeing more evidence of how bad the situation is with the police. Millions have taken to the streets to fight COVID to fight a greater danger, the racist pigs. We're going to defund them. We're going to tear down the system of police and prisons and their flaccid statutes, which create cycles of poverty and abuse and misery and continue the legacy in which they were founded, white supremacy. And we're going to replace it with something better. There's a huge wave right now for the abolitionist cause. And we're, we're trying to change the way we think from the ground up about accountability and, and public safety and how we handle interpersonal conflict. And we're going to reckon with our society's obsession with punishment. We just don't need the pigs. They're more likely to bring conflict to the situation as we see every day. They escalate situations oftentimes with deadly results, especially for black folk and other POC. And now it seems like a moment where everything previously thought unimaginable is now becoming possible. Maybe we can actually abolish the police as the city council voted to do in Minneapolis. We have the writers and the protesters to thank for that. New York just defunded the police by a billion dollars. And we know every time we hear news like that, we're going to find all these politicians coming out of the woodworks and thinking of ways to prevent that from ever happening, to delaying it, to minimalizing it, 
to turning into some reform bill that doesn't do anything but just suppresses the moment. But uh, we're going to keep fighting. We're not leaving the streets. Keep the momentum going. Honestly, I don't think we have anything else to say. We just kind of wrap it up right there, huh? Right, but what with those last words you said, Jay? All right. You've been listening to Godless Pirates. Take note the link. This is Jason from Chicago. Quarantine. This is Jeremy. Locked down, but not locked out. This is Grace and a very, very sleepy and cuddly Mr. K. Another world is possible. Another oh, world no, 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 no. is possible. Another world is possible. Let's face twin trouble. You ready, Jeremy? Okay, go ahead. One, two, three. Twin trouble. You, you, fucked, you fucked it up. You fucked it up. You fucked it up. It. You had it. Nah, 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 nah.